Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. And just like that, the final hour is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine in Nashville. We welcome you to the Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. No Paul today. He's back with us tomorrow with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Time to hit some college football headlines, storylines, discussions, games, and more. Ross Dellinger joins us from SI.com, college football senior writer. Ross, appreciate the time, man. Hope, hope everything's well. Yeah, going good. Um, pretty big game in Knoxville this weekend with Tennessee and, and Florida. Just overall perception of both programs right now and, and how much they've changed, at least for me, based on Tennessee's win at Pitt. And what Florida's done or not done since their win against Utah? Well, I think both programs are kind of in somewhat similar positions. You know, they're they both have relatively new coaches, second year for Josh Heupel, first year for Billy Napier at Florida. Um, and so they're kind of in a rebuilding process coming off of uh, you know, the firing of of a coach uh that uh you know, had a had a bad end to his tenure at both places. And so kind of it's a rebuilding kind of issue. And I think both have been recruiting pretty well. Um, both have been using, I think, NIL pretty pretty well. Um, so they, they both come in this, you know, in this situation uh, somewhere going down the, lo- the, same, the same lines. Uh, I think that Tennessee, as we've seen this year, probably – it appears to be a little bit better, um, but it's it's really early. I, I think everybody would have said, you know, Florida's a, a better than Tennessee after that first game. But uh, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback at Florida, just not looked the same since that game against Utah. And, and you're right. You know, Tennessee did prove a lot going to Pitt. It, it's not uh, – I know it's not like a big Big Ten school or, or some rowdy, crazy environment there. But it's on the road. It's early in the year. And, and certainly Tennessee looks – a little more together, especially offensively. They have they have looked really, really good. You know, it's a game that it feels like for Tennessee fans, there's a lot more urgency because of the history with Florida. You're a 10-point favorite. A chance to beat the Gators is always a big deal. But if you look at it from the pursuit of second place in the SEC East, which, Ross, we all know it's a battle for second because Georgia's the best team in the SEC East, the game is actually much more important to Florida who's already lost in their opportunity against Kentucky at home. So to drop to 0-2 against your chief competition for second place pretty much dooms you where Tennessee's got a game much later in the season at home against Kentucky where they could get back in that race. So when you look at it from that perspective, how much urgency do you think we see from the Gators on Saturday in this game? Yeah, well, they, they've got a – you would think Billy Napier and staff will <laughs> look at the Utah game, right. And then look at the last two games offensively and, uh, start to, to change whatever they can and, and go back to the, to the performance that we saw in the season opener, whether that means running, uh, Anthony Richardson a little more or what, I, I don't know, but, um, it, there is a lot of pressure there, you know, taking a second loss, this, the second conference loss this early in the year, pretty much ends any chance of them getting to Atlanta. And, uh, so the pressure is on there, but you know, for Tennessee, you're at home. You've been playing better. Uh, you've got a second-year head coach instead of a first-year head coach. You should be further along in your 
rebuilding. So in a lot of ways, I, you know, this feels like a game Tennessee should win. Tennessee fans probably expect it to win. Um, so I, I think the, the pressure is on the balls. But you're right. You know, one one more loss this early in the season, one more conference loss for Florida basically kind of takes them out of the mix. What has surprised you the most about Texas A&M so far this season and what we've seen from them? Well, they just the inability to move the football consistently. Uh, I, I cannot remember who they played in the season opener, but they even struggled then. Sam Houston uh, State, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I know there was like a rain delay in that one, but they yeah. even struggled then to, to move the ball. So just the consistent uh, – offense has just not been there. And I know Jimbo made the change in quarterback, putting in Max Johnson, Brad's son. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know that it, that, that we saw it really make any big improvement um, against Miami. Uh, Miami's defense did play really well. I don't know if that was, you know, part of it that Kevin Stills, defensive coordinator there, a long time, the uh, SEC defensive coordinator. So he knows what Jimbo does, but, uh, but that's been the biggest surprise is the, kind of inconsistency and this lack of efficiency on uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And that's a huge game coming up for them this weekend, right? Against against Arkansas, it's a neutral site. Um, you know, it's a big rivalry game and it's a SEC Western Division opponent uh, with with the Alabamas and the yellow shoes to come down the line. Uh, you would think, you know, A&M needs to win that game. Ross, I know you've been reporting on the meeting that took place for the college football playoff and possible expansion sooner rather than later, but there are some big hurdles uh, that Greg Sankey and others have have pointed to, but you've gone in depth on. Take us the Cliff Notes version here of the biggest hurdles involved with the football calendar and how everything's got to be shifted around with the commissioners trying to figure out that puzzle and how difficult it is. Yeah, there's a lot of issues here, but I think the biggest issue is the calendar. And, uh, you know, you've got conference championship games the first weekend in December. And then normally the national championship game is basically the second Monday in January. So you've r- roughly got about five weeks or so in there, roughly, to play all these playoff games unless you're going to move that championship game date back a week, which has been suggested. Um, you know, so you've got a tight window in order to get flexible there and expand the window, there might be some significant changes. You know, one that's being proposed is make week one. Now what is week zero? So move up, uh, either give you an extra buy, which gives you kind of flexibility and, and all that stuff, or you, or that's a step in the direction of moving up the season where you'd actually have rivalry games move off of Thanksgiving and you have championship conference championship games move on to Thanksgiving, and that kind of gives you maybe a, a bigger window. So that's part of the discussion. You know, a big part of the discussion is the NFL. Uh, NFL games, regular season games start on Saturday in mid-December. They start playing on Saturday. Uh, they've got an expanded playoff of their own. And so they've got uh, wild card games that in playoff games on Saturdays in January and on Monday – in January, and that's why uh, we've written a lot about bra- everybody bracing themselves for college football playoff games on weeknights, on Thursday night, on Friday night. Uh, I think I think it's it's maybe possible, uh, but there's just a lot of moving parts. And then on top of all that, you've got graduation that happens in December. 
You've got travel issues for hosting games on, on, on campus uh, when you have graduation at the same time or you have exams, academic exams. So the, there's the academic calendar as well. Um, so it's really complicated. I think it's the biggest issue is the calendar. And within the calendar, you have all these other really complicated factors. So LSU gets a slap on the wrist from the NCAA. LSU football, at least. We, just, we still don't know what's coming down for LSU basketball. Did any of that surprise you, Ross, when you see the report? from the NCAA and, and what's going to happen to LSU? Well, not really. This was uh, – so we should say, you know, there's a, two separate cases going on with LSU and the NCAA right now. One case is a dual case with basketball in football. It's with Will Wade. Everybody kind of knows about that case. And then in football, it's with Vidal Alexander, the former offensive lineman, um, been playing in the NFL for a while now. I mean, this is an old case uh, that you know, it has something to do with payment from a local L, uh, Baton Rouge hospital to his parents, to his dad, specifically a no-show job. So those are like uh, together and they're being investigated together. And that case is dragging on and probably will into next year. That's the big case. What we've had today was a case against uh, former LSU offensive line coach James Craig, who committed what we've seen some of the acts at Arizona State, and we've seen some of the acts at Tennessee, is you're committing violations during the COVID dead period. Um, so LSU got off light. They fired him, I think, pretty much immediately after they found out about the violations. And so that was probably a big reason they got off a little light here, only one year probation. Uh, they took a bunch of uh, self-imposed recruiting things that, uh, that, that, that aren't that significant. And then James Craig, who's now working in the NFL, as a three-year show cause. So basically, he can't work in college football for another three years. But he's in the NFL right now, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so kind of, a, as you might call it, a nothing burger of a case today. But the, the big burger comes probably January, February, March, somewhere around then when you have the the, the ruling from the NCAA and the Will Wade and the, the other hospital no-show job uh, football-related stuff. Notre Dame at North Carolina this Saturday. How big is this game for Marcus Freeman to course correct a bit in his first full season as Notre Dame head coach and maybe get things headed back on the right path? Yeah, uh, speaking of, uh, we talked about A&M's inefficient offensively. You know, Notre Dame's is, uh, has been right there with it. Uh, just an absolute struggle to move the football consistently. Uh, struggle at quarterback. Uh, Pine has really, he's, he's not looked great at times. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it's just been a struggle to move the football. And if there's any good, uh, good thing about this week's matchup, it's that uh, Notre Dame has a chance to move the football. North Carolina's defense has been maybe one of the worst, uh, you know, in FBS so far. Gene Chizik is defensive coordinator count came off the TV role to, kind of save the North Carolina defense, and it has really, really struggled. I mean, everybody knows they gave up 40 points in a single quarter at App State. Um, uh, so it's so if there's if Notre Dame is going to do it, this will be the week to do it. Ross, in, in your opinion, of, of these three, Meyer, uh, Hugh Freeze, Bobby Petrino, who do you think makes the jump up to the Power Five fastest? Do we, do we see – Two of the three, do you think we just see Meyer in Power Five next year or none? You know, I think that Urban Meyer is going to sit out longer. Um, 
I, that's just a gut feeling that he's going to, he's going to sit out a little longer than just one, one year. Um, then again, he's a coach and all those coaches have itches and it, to coach again and uh, to walk the sideline. But obviously he's had some missteps and any school who hires him is, is probably going to, uh, you know, have to deal with those issues. And a lot of schools don't want to deal with those issues. So I, I probably of the three would say Hugh Freeze, who's at Liberty having another pretty solid season. Um, I've been a little surprised that Hugh hasn't gotten a crack at some jobs yeah. in the last few years. He's had some missteps of his own, but um, it's been a while, you know, since all that's happened. Fired at Ole Miss in 2016. So um, that's six years removed from all that. Uh, you know, he makes a lot of sense at Auburn, you know, a place that might come open. And I thought he made a lot of sense two years ago for the Auburn job. Uh, so I would, I would probably say Hugh of, of those three. I, I Bobby Petrino, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think a power five is going to give even a lower level power five. I just don't expect them to give Bobby Petrino uh, another chance. I, I think he's all out of shots. Fair enough. I, I, I threw him in there based on the way that they performed this past week in, in, at Arkansas and knowing that all three, all three of those guys win college football games. Yeah, they, they can coach. Another guy that can coach is Lance Leipold and what he's doing mm. at Kansas. Uh, undefeated Duke at undefeated Kansas th- this weekend. Didn't think we'd see that <laughs> as a, a, a premier 11 a.m. Central kickoff on FS1. But here we have both these programs undefeated. And I think this kind of ties into another question about a coaching vacancy, and that's at Nebraska. And Lance Leipold's already being asked about that job. What makes sense for Nebraska? And we can talk about this, Ross, from the context of the job that Leipold's doing at Kansas. Oh, right. It's yeah, it's it's incredible what he's doing at Kansas so far. You know, he he has a great track record. You look at what he did at uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, I know it's you know people probably didn't realize uh, what he did at the time, but. Um, you know, in like a stretch, I think of seven years, he won six national championships at the D3 level. Um, it's unheard, it's unheard of. It's just incredible. At one point they had something like a, a 40 or 50 game win streak. Uh, and then he went to Buffalo and won another pretty difficult place, uh, to win, uh, at Buffalo it took him to a couple of bowl games, I believe, or maybe three bowl games his last three years. They won 10 games one year at Buffalo. He did some great things everywhere he's been. He's basically won football games and, and we're seeing him at arguably the worst FBS job, uh, or I'm sorry, arguably the worst power five job. Uh, he's, um, and he's winning and it's, it's really been fun to watch. And he's a, he's a good guy. who's kind of a journeyman type, you know, he's, he's 58 years old and, and he does have a connection to Nebraska, right? He's uh, he was there for, maybe 15 years or so close to 15 years uh, with, uh, with Osborne late, uh, I believe, or Frank Solich. I think he was there with Frank Solich. I think he was there uh, 01 to 03 with Solich. Oh, oh um, and maybe 01 to 03. Ah, yeah. Maybe. Oh, you know what? He was at, uh, he was at he was Nebraska, at Nebraska Omaha. Omaha. Yeah. That's right. But so he was in Nebraska, not at Nebraska, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, for a couple of years, he was with Frank there. So he's got a connection to obviously that part of the country. And uh, you would think that he would be, high up the thing is it's really early right they, they're just three you know it's just three games in so uh, give it some time to see if kansas is for real we'll find out a little more this weekend but we'll really find out next weekend they have a trip to iowa state 
Ross, I really appreciate the visit, man. Uh, great work, as always, at SI. We, we love the follow, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you down the road here in the college football season. All right, guys. See y'all. Yeah, there's Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated uh, college football reporter. He does a lot of the behind-the-scenes reporting on college football playoff. Um, he's got a great piece up on Walt Wells, who nearly died on yeah. the practice field um, at Eastern Kentucky. Uh, that. Highly recommend going to reading that story. Yeah, he's great more. on the business side no of doubt. college football with uh, television contracts, college football playoff discussions, yeah. all of those things. He's good at reporting on all that. Coming up, at least one big thing on every NFL game for week three. One of my favorite segments. This is next, Now Kick 360. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360. Chad, we've got a great college football slate again. It's tiered a bit this week. We'll have a full preview tomorrow, but Tennessee, Florida, and then A&M, Arkansas, two must-see matchups. Wisconsin-Ohio State, I'm eager to see Ohio State against Wisconsin from their passing game perspective against Wisconsin secondary, which leads the Big Ten right now in takeaways, interceptions with seven. Told Bobby Carpenter yesterday, I don't think it's close at the end, but I think it's an entertaining game for the Big Ten perspective, especially given the fact that Wisconsin's got to show something after what we saw uh, earlier with uh, Washington State. Um, NFL, by the way, kicks off tonight. We've got week the second week of Thursday Night Football on Amazon. One, one quick thing on yep. college, by yep. the way. Uh, one one game that's pretty interesting to me that's taking place tonight: West Virginia at Virginia Tech. Yeah, uh, is a Thursday I night game. Time. We got a bigger NFL game tonight, but that game's at six thirty on uh, on ESPN six thirty Central. But interesting game there. We've got good. This is the rare week where I think we have a good Thursday night and Friday night college matchup: Virginia at Syracuse. Syracuse is three and zero. To start the season, knocking off Purdue, a decent little ACC game, two and one Virginia at three and zero Syracuse. That's a, Syracuse a nine point favor in that game. That game's tomorrow night. But yeah, this weekend, not a ton of huge games. I'll have my top ten college games the weekend tomorrow, and I will go ahead and tell you that two basketball schools in Duke and Kansas playing each other will be on that list somewhere. Don't know where yet, but they're going to be on that list somewhere. When's the last time Kansas was favored on the road? Uh, the last time Kansas, uh, I mean, Davey Hudson sent this this stat to me. The last time Kansas was favored against an F F uh, a Power Five opponent, okay, was two thousand nine. Period. Home period. or away? They're at home. Oh, Kansas yeah. is at home. Kansas is hosting. Oh, Duke. I thought this was at Duke. So the last time they were favored, two thousand. Oh, favored by seven and a half or more. The last time that oh, was the okay. case was two thousand nine. Either way. 2007, I believe, was the year they won 10 games under Mark Mangini. That's the last time they were really good. Real quick, uh, before we get to the NFL discussion, if you polled Nebraska fans immediately right now, would they take Leipold or Matt Campbell? They would take Matt Campbell. Because you want the young – I mean, this is what fans will think. They want the young guy. And Campbell is a young – you know, the more young, up-and-coming coach. Leipold, I I think, Rostell's 58 – has been around the block. He's done a lot. Listening he, to Ross Dellinger rattle off where he's been and where he's won, and now he's doing it at Kansas. He's, you know, it's a lot like James Franklin to me. James Franklin wins 
early and quickly at, Cam- at, at Vandy, and it propels him to that next gig, right? He coached with Solich at Nebraska from 01 to 03. Then he was the head coach at Nebraska-Omaha and yes. won a ton there. And then he went to Wisconsin-Whitewater in Division Three, won six national championships. He had Buffalo in the top 25. He won 10 <laughs> games at Buffalo. That's crazy. In year two at Kansas, they beat West Virginia. They, uh, I forget who they beat last week, but I mean, they're three and they beat Houston. Beat Houston. They won at Houston Houston. as a double digit underdog going into the game. And here they are, three and oh. I mean, it's, he's a great coach. Nebraska would do well to hire him, but Matt Campbell would be great too. That'd also be a good, they're going to have good options. I keep seeing Jim Leonard, who's the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, who's a former Wisconsin player, high up on Nebraska's list. Mm hmm. I don't know if that's legit or if he just has a really good agent. <laughs> you know, it's one of those where I'm not quite sure why he's getting mentioned everywhere. I mean, he's a good good young coach. I think he's 38, Jim Leonard. He probably has the same agent as everyone, right? Yeah. Knowing him. Um, week three kicks off tonight, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. It's time for at least one big thing on every NFL game for week three on OutKick. Chad, Steelers at the Browns. Uh, This game has the makings for a hard-nosed, physical throwback game, right? This is not Chargers Chiefs from a week ago. The Steelers have struggled to find pressure if T.J. Watt is not on the field. They failed to record a sack last week for just the third time since 2017. On offense, it's been predictable personnel and predictable play calling. Matt Canada is getting a lot of heat as the offensive coordinator. And, of course, Trubisky is looking over his shoulder and being asked about Kenny Pickett, any chance the media has, and any chance the fans have to tweet at him. Um, The Browns pass rush. Tonight, they're without Jadavian Clowney. They are going to be without Chase Vinovich. uh, And they have to generate some pressure with Miles Garrett and company. Can they get the extra boost opposite Miles Garrett, who has been tremendous to begin the season. The Browns rank fourth in yards per rush attempt in the NFL at 5.3. Their offensive line has not been great, even at run blocking, because the duo of Chubb and Kareem Hunt are doing more with less as one of the best, if not the best, tandem in football right now. Both of them top 10 in broken tackles and yards after contact and missed tackles for that Browns offense. Bottom line, if Trubisky is all dink and dunk and short passing, I think we see Pickett, maybe not tonight, but over the 10-day layoff before they play next week. This is a Browns-Steelers game that feels like it should be December and there's a wind coming in off the lake. And it's going to look like that, even though the weather's probably going to be perfect. It's going to be very great. With both offenses, I'm saying the weather could be perfect. It'll look like a game in December with the wind. Blowing in off the list. A uh, little uh, betting nugget. Uh, Davey Hudson tells us uh, through Bet Labs, Kevin Stefanski is 1-11 against the spread in divisional opponents since he became the head coach of the Browns. Take that for what it's worth. It's not ideal. By the way, Kansas uh, against Duke sold out. Second time in 13 years that Kansas has sold out a home game. That game is sold out on Saturday. Bears and Texans. The Bears uh, and, and Texans both don't generate much buzz. In fact, I think they qualify as the most boring teams in the NFL. Least interesting game. The The Bears have 28 pass attempts through two games offensively. 28. And we're... <laughs> you had 28 pass attempts. How many completed? Justin Fields 
through two games, Chad, has completed just 15 passes. Of course, they had the monsoon game. He's completed 15 passes in two weeks of football. The Bears, they run the ball 65, we'll call it 66% of their offensive plays. That's the most in the league. The 49ers are second at 59 in, in the league. And, of course, both of those teams played in that monsoon in week one. Titans and Raiders, uh, two teams that should be able to run the football. The Titans haven't been able to. Devontae Adams had just two catches for 12 yards a week ago when the Cardinals came back uh, to beat the Raiders. The Raiders have an 0-2 Titans team that has something to prove. The Raiders, of course, 0-2. Their next opponents after Tennessee, the Broncos and the Chiefs. I think Las Vegas has to win two of those three games coming up starting this week to have their playoff hopes still within reach. Tennessee, by the way, tied for first in the league in punt attempts per game at six. Mm. Colts and Chiefs, it's the home opener for Indianapolis. They are 0-1-1. They've been outscored 44-3 in all but the fourth quarters of their two games so far this season. Matt Ryan on Sunday, 6 of, thir- six of 30 passing, 195 yards. He threw three interceptions. He has one touchdown pass and four picks to begin the season in their 0-1-1 start. 6 of 30? 16 of 30. Okay. About to say, six of 30 sounds a lot worse. It feels like six of 30. Yeah. Mahomes, 17 touchdowns to one interception in his last five games on the road. Dolphins, Bills. So here are the Bills. They've beaten the defending Super Bowl champs and then last season's top AFC playoff seed in, in the Titans. A combined score of two teams that won 12 games in the regular season a year ago. Combined score against the Bills to start. 72 to 17 is the final score through two weeks. They've been unstoppable. This game features the top three receivers in the NFL currently. Tyreek Hill leads the NFL in receiving yards with 284. Stephon Diggs is second with 270, and Jalen Waddell third with 240. Chad, who would you take for the leading receiver among those three on Sunday? I think it's going to be Diggs. I think he's going to follow up the performance against the Titans and have another big one with Josh Allen. I'll say this for the Bills. I knew they were going to be good this year. I don't know that anyone expected them to look this good through two weeks. Even Um, as good as that roster is and as good as they've been, they've exceeded my expectations. Tua is guiding Miami's offense. I think I got this from Armando. They are averaging 14 more points per game than expected based on down distance and field position of the play. This is through analytics of True Media. 14 more points than expected per game to begin the season. Meanwhile, how good have the Bills been? I mentioned last week, going into last week's Monday night game, they had punted only in one game of their last four. They had not punted in three of their last four regular season games dating back to last year. That was a record. We'll put it in further context now with this stat. Dating back to the start of last season, the Bills have three games with 40 points and four forced turnovers. That is as many as the rest of the league and the NFL during that same time frame combined. That's how dominant they've been. I think they cover Sunday in Miami. I think a lot of people are picking Miami. I'm not one of them. The Bills, again, so impressive so far this season through two games. Armando Salguero, hide your ears. Vikings and Lions preview headed your way. He's not watching. Dating back to the the last game of 2021, the Lions have scored 35 or more points in three consecutive games. 
It's extremely rare. The last time that's happened for them was in 1952, where they were winning championships with Buddy Parker. Best receiver you don't hear about is Amonra St. Brown. Nine touchdowns in his last six games within that Detroit offense. And each of the last three games in this series between the Vikings and, and Lions have been decided by two points. This is going to be a good game on Sunday. Patriots Ravens. By the way, Hutton, I agree with you on the Lions. I think that they are a slightly better than we expected coming into the season. And I'm, they're not some great team, but they're going to no. show a lot of progress in year two um, under Dan Campbell. They can run the football in Minnesota this Sunday. The, the Vikings are allowing over five yards per carry defensively. The Lions are leading the league with over seven yards per rush attempt so far. Patriots-Ravens, dating back to last year, Baltimore has blown five fourth-quarter leads, and they gave up a 28-point deficit last last week to, to Miami in the fourth quarter, um, giving up the 28 points and allowing Miami to come from behind. They were down 21 going into the fourth, and two and company put on a show. Uh, Mac Jones... He has a 67% completion percentage through his first 19 starts. He can pass Chad Pennington for the highest completion percentage by a quarterback in his first 20 starts on Sunday if he completes the, the football against Baltimore. I did not expect to hear the name Chad Pennington during your rundown of games. So th- there you go. It's, a, it's something for everyone. And I did not know that Chad Pennington owned that record. What would you say Joe Burrow is on pace for to be uh, sacked this season? Well, he was sacked seven times in the first game. Yep, and six last week. So 13. Um, so Got a ways uh, to go. Doing the math, uh, 900. Yeah, close. Uh, 110. He's on pace to be sacked 110 times Feels right like now. 900 times. How rare is it? By the way, the, the Bengals are facing the Jets. The Jets and Giants both won last week. Um and in September, that's only happened once in the last three years where both teams have won on the same weekend in September. Brees Hall, by the way, for the Jets, he leads all the rookie running backs with 121 scrimmage yards. And Joe Flacco is one of two quarterbacks. The other's Carson Wentz that has thrown for over 300 yards in each of his first two games of the season. He's throw, Flacco's thrown it a ton. What is it, Davey? Over 50 attempts per, per game or something Zach, so far? Well, Zach Wilson may need his friend's mom to house him after he loses his job because it's going to be a battle when he comes back with Joe Flacco. The Eagles host the Commanders. This is the first game for Carson Wentz against the team that traded up to draft him. He hasn't faced the Eagles uh, since he was uh, traded away to Indianapolis. Washington has scored a touchdown every time they've entered the red zone this season with Wentz. Five of five. They're tied for first with Dallas, but Dallas didn't even reach the red zone in week one so Washington's been far more consistent through two games A.J. Brown for the Eagles five catches 69 yards last week he's sixth in the NFL in receiving yards in 2022 it is a rare trade me get me out of get me out of town the team does it and then he the player arrives at the new city and immediately sparks everything offensively we don't see it but A.J.'s brought it a number one weapon for Jalen Hurts. Well, and on the flip side, may have started an unnecessary, early, premature rebuild for the Titans in trading away A.J. Brown. We'll see how the rest of the season goes, um, but I've got to call him up at Outkick right now with my five worst teams in the league. Titans are in that after two weeks. 
That they were the the number one seed in the AFC a year ago with AJ Brown. So is Carolina? That's a problem. Is Carolina on that bottom? Five? Carolina is. I'll go ahead and say it. They're the worst. Okay, the Panthers. They've lost nine straight games. They're facing the Saints this week. They're zero and nine against the spread as well in those nine games. If, in case you're wondering, um, dating to the beginning of last October, Matt Rule two and fourteen against the spread. What's worse? This is an amazing stat from Clark Judge. Matt Rule's record when the Panthers allow more than 17 points. When their defense allows more than 17 points, Matt Rule is 1-25 as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Next five weeks for them, Saints, Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, Bucks. Doesn't get easier. The next Auburn head coach, Matt Rule. Right there in, in Charlotte, in Carolina. So... There's not a team in the league that has a worse-looking two-pack of losses to open the season yeah. than at home against Cleveland with a backup quarterback and then on the road against the Giants. Panthers win that distinction. They win my list of worst teams in NFL through two weeks. Carolina's the one defense in the league that has not forced a turnover yet. Chargers and Jaguars. Herbert suffered that fracture to his rib cartilage. We went through that with Armando and how painful that is. He's day-to-day. They have Chase Daniel, who's made millions without doing anything on game day, but back up good quarterbacks that don't get hurt. I don't know if we'll see him. Maybe we do, because I think Herbert plays. They're going to give him the injection. They haven't said that, but I think that's the intent as they host Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence is 0-9 on the road. He's going to try to get his first road win on Sunday in Los Angeles. The only quarterback to lose his first nine road starts and win his 10th. Chad, Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, 0-9 to begin his career, won his 10th. We'll see if Trevor Lawrence can do that with a win over the Chargers. And, by the way, that's also the team that Manning won his 10th game, 10th road game against. I'd also like to say just polar opposite hairlines (laughs) between Trevor Lawrence and Peyton Manning. I mean, you could not find a bigger gap in the hair game than those two quarterbacks. Cardinals and Rams. Last week, the seventh time in his past 15 games that Matthew Stafford has thrown multiple picks in a game. That includes the playoffs. Uh, Who wins on third down? Opponents have converted 60% of their third downs against the Rams. The Rams are dead last in that and allowing third down conversions. Of course, they played the Bills week one. Opponents have converted 58% of their third downs against the Cardinals. They're 31st in the league, just ahead of Los Angeles. Kyler Murray, 1-5 in his career against the Rams. Cooper Cup, he now has at least five catches in 23 consecutive games, tying DeAndre Hopkins for second. That's the second longest streak. The longest streak, um, by the way, is Antonio Brown, 36 games. These guys are going to be tied at 23. Um, He'll look to make it 24 and own second place. DK Metcalf, 17 touchdowns in his last 17 games played in Seattle. Seattle hosts Atlanta on Sunday, where Kyle Pitts has two catches for 19 yards in each of his first two games. They've got Drake London going. They need to get Kyle Pitts going offensively. He is supposed to be the weapon. He's the the unicorn player at tight end, and he's done nothing so far this season. Got to change. The Buccaneers' defense is for real. They've allowed 13 points in their first two wins. Tampa Bay's 2-0. The rest of the division is 1-5. There's your playoff hope, despite the offensive weapons not being anywhere up to par for Tampa Bay currently, especially going into this game. Mike Evans is suspended. 
Chris Godwin and Julio Jones. They both missed uh, last week's game due to injuries. That could potentially leave us with Brashad Perriman, Russell Gage, and, and Scotty Miller as the three-pack. They also have Cole Beasley on their practice squad currently. The Bucks have the Chiefs after Sunday's meeting against the Packers. Rodgers comes to town to Tampa Bay looking for win number two after losing week one. Broncos and 49ers on Sunday Night Football. Jimmy G taking on Russell Wilson on the opposite sideline. San Fran leads the league in average time of possession offensively. 35 minutes, nearly 36 minutes of possession time offensively for San Fran. The Broncos have been flagged for three delay of game penalties through two games. And that's with Nathaniel Hackett. To me, that's just discipline and getting a play call in. He's calling plays as the head coach. They were flagged. The Broncos were twice all season last year for that same penalty, delay a game, with far less talent at quarterback. This game feels bigger for Denver, to me, yes. than San Francisco. Yes. Now, Denver leads the league in 103 penalty yards per game on average. That goes back to poor coaching by Hackett as well. Giants and Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Jerry Jones said he would walk to New York if that meant that there is any type of quarterback controversy where Cooper Rush continues to win and play well and Dak Prescott is ready to return or uh, could return, I think is how it's been phrased. Like, do we need to play him a week earlier? He said he would walk to New York if that were the case where they had a big decision to make. Dallas has won nine of their last 10 against the Giants. Cooper Rush is 2-0 and his two games started in the league. Micah Parsons, 15 pass rush wins this season. That's the most by any NFL defender. There are seven teams with 15 or fewer pass rush wins total through two weeks. And Micah Parsons has it solo and has been extremely dominant. Uh, that, that is from uh, NFL Next Gen Stats. The Giants have not started 3-0 since 2009. Sterling Shepard is a big reason why they've been able to move the football throwing the football. He's back. He looks healthy. He's back from that Achilles injury, Chad. Six catches last week. He has six or more catches in his last two games against the Cowboys defense. Giants starting 3-0. and No one would have expected that, and they got a great chance against Cooper Rush in the Cowboys in this game, so um, that would be quite the story. What do you think is the biggest lopsided game of the weekend? Just going through it. I think it's Rams-Cardinals, because I think the Cardinals last week was... Uh, well, it was flukish based on the, the comeback that we saw and how they went about doing it. Oh, I'm taking man. the Rams bit. I, I, think, I think Indy's really bad. I think KC might go in That's there and, and house Indy in this game. Well, that sets up my scenario for next week then he, uh, for, for the Titans. Going, I keep saying it's here. They're playing twice I, in three I, weeks. I know that, I know that Titans Indy's, play there next week. Indy's recovered from 0-3 before. I feel like maybe Andrew Luck was the quarterback when they did that, or maybe it was Rivers. No, they started 0-3 last year. They were 0-3 last year? They started 0-3 last year, and they went they went into week 16 needing a win. And they lost to, they lost to the Raiders. They had the Raiders. They hosted the Raiders and lost that game. And then they lost at Jacksonville. Win and in, and they lost to Jacksonville. If it's the most lopsided game of the week and they lose at home to Kansas City badly, this still, to me, feels a lot different. They feel dead yeah. to me at that no, point. No, because they've... Yeah, you're right. I mean, they've they this started and bad. This 0-3 would be different. They started bad last year, 0-3. They finished how they started last year, right? And then this year, they've started as they finished, losing to Jacksonville. And, I mean, not even scoring after trying to prove that it was Wentz's problem. Meanwhile, Wentz is, he's been okay. Yep. He's been okay. 
Coming up, we get you ready for Thursday night football. We'll give you some picks. I've got two props I'm playing right now at DraftKings. Um, Chad, you can follow along if you'd like. Hear them. You can I'm also go against them. Right you now. can also go against them if you if you hate them. That's fair too. That means one of us will win money if you do that. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. DraftKings, you can bet $5, win $200 in free bets for all new DraftKings users. you got to be 21 years or older. This is for first-time DraftKings Sportsbook customers. DraftKings updating its NFL offer to bet $5, win $200 in free bets. The offer goes live right now, and then it's live through November the 20th. you got some time here. Outkick.com slash betting outkick.com slash betting you bet five or more on any nfl pregame money line you could take you could do this you could sign up at least five bucks or more make sure it's your first bet you could take pittsburgh or cleveland in the money line if you win that bet you win 200 dollars in free bets make a deposit in the sportsbook account with your first rage wager make sure it's the wager or five or more on a money line bet in the nfl and then if you win, you get $200 in your DraftKings account. And that's in to addition to whatever you win on the bet itself. 21 years or older, outkick.com slash betting for all of our DraftKings content. That's outkick.com slash betting. A uh, couple of props for you, Chad, for okay, Thursday Night I'm Football. I'm, I took Kareem Hunt over two and a half receptions in this game. Pittsburgh has allowed... 13 receptions to running backs through two weeks. Okay. Kareem Hunt is their guy out of the backfield for that. As soon oh, as I find it, I'm going to bet it. Oh, uh, yeah, it's tough to find. <laughs> I, I found <laughs> it at two I and a half there, last night. It. It's plus 110. It's a nice prop that I think is, is worthy of a winner. And I mentioned earlier in our one big thing on every week three game, it's the best running back tandem in football with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in no particular order. I would take Chubb over Hunt, but... Running the football, I'm taking Chubb to score a touchdown. Anytime touchdown score. Um, second most rushing yards in the league is Nick Chubb. I think he performs well tonight on Thursday night. I think it's going to be one of those grind-out games. Low scoring, but Chubb's getting a touchdown against the Pittsburgh defense. What, um, do you know the odds on that? If that hits is, both? Um, hang on, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you about the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, I'm interested. I'm still looking for receptions right now for, for Chubb. Um, Roethlisberger's tenure at quarterback, the Steelers, own Cleveland. And now you've got Trubisky just trying to own the starting job for another week. I'm, I'm fascinated by the storyline because I don't know why... I don't know why you would make a change after week three if you were two and one, Right. Getting, they already have the win over Cincinnati. This would have this would be their second win in the division. That'd be two and zero in the division. So I don't know why, despite how bad it might look, why you'd make a change. However, their offense as like a a fifteen yard window, a box, and that's maybe putting it lightly on what I've seen from Matt Canada and the play calling. It's it's nothing special. They're not pressing the issue. It's nothing bold. It's very bland. I think Pickett would certainly give a charge and an energy to the offense. I think Cleveland wins. I think we're going to see Kenny Pickett the next time the Steelers take the field. And I think Cleveland gets it done tonight. I know they're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It's going to be close. It's going to be right down to the wire. I think it's going to be a really good game. But give me, give me the Browns. 
I've got it at plus 320 on my odds here at the DraftKings app I'm looking at on what I bet last night. Nice. On those. I'll play once I find receptions for Nick Chubb. Enjoy Thursday night football tomorrow, a full college football preview. Weekend's here. Florida and much more. Declare it. The weekend's here. Outkick 360. It's arrived. Back tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Have a great weekend, everyone.